I want to talk to you this morning about Bethlehem. And uh, I pray that the message that I share will deeply influence your life this morning. Bethlehem is a very important city. And actually, it wasn't a city. It was just a little tiny town. Uh, but before we, we get into describing uh, some events that took place in this town, uh, well, I just want to explain the meaning of the word. So this is slide one. Bethlehem is a combination of two Hebrew words. Beth means the house, and the Hebrew word leham means of bread. So Bethlehem means the house of bread. Now, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, uh, the prophet Micah talked about the coming of Christ, that he would be born in a, in a very small little place called Bethlehem. And here's what he said. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem, uh, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So there would come someone who would be born in Bethlehem, uh, who would be a ruler of Israel, and whose origins were of old, from ancient times, literally everlasting. So this was the, a picture of what the Bible describes as the ancient of days. God the Father himself. So in the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this one who would one day become the king was born in this very insignificant town. So the house of bread uh, wasn't a big house. It was just very small when it came to the clans of Judah. Now, these aren't the tribes of Judah, but the family clans uh, within Judah. And in some translations, it says the thousands uh, of Judah. Among the thousands of Judah, Bethlehem was small, and Jesus would be born there. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus, who is the bread of life, was born in the house of bread. Now, small, insignificant, just a, a tiny little village, born not in a castle or a palace or with great fanfare of royalty, even though he was the king, but just a major, a stable. Uh, so everything was small, insignificant, lowly, if you will, humble. The Bible tells us that uh, God, the Jesus, it says in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, but thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He took upon himself the, the form of man. And it goes on to say how he became obedient and obedient to death. And so here in the house of bread, came the one who is the bread, 
And he came for a very specific purpose, and it wasn't a pleasant one, at least not at first. I'm going to go back a little bit in history. The very first time that Bethlehem is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 35, verse 16 to 20. And this is the story of Jacob and Rachel. Now, Jacob, whose name became Israel, and who fathered the, the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of, Is, 12 tribes of Israel, um, married this woman whom he loved, uh, Rachel. And it says, they moved on from Bethel. And, uh, and while they were still s- some distance from Ephra, which means Bethlehem, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. And as she breathed breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. And that's the first few verses, and jumping down a little bit to verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried buried on the way to Ephrat, that is Bethlehem, and over her tomb Jacob set up a pillar, and on this day, and to this day the pillar marks Rachel's tomb. So Bethlehem became a very sorrowful place for Jacob and his wife, and and she names his son the, the son of sorrow or the son of pain. That's what the name that she gave him meant. And, and Jacob ter, uh, turned that uh, around and said, no, she's not going to be called that. She will call, be called Benjamin, which means the right hand, the picture of the right hand of, of, of a, I'll say, a king, um, a place of honor in a palace. So here in Rachel's understanding of Bethlehem, because it meant her death, because it meant the end of what had been a a wonderful marriage and now the birth of her 12th son, and, 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 and it becomes a place of great sorrow and pain. And so that's what she calls her 12th baby. Bethlehem meant different things to different people. And it can still do that today. Uh, Jesus came to his own people, the Bible says, and his own people did not receive him. So there was a picture of Rachel's death. And actually, she is the wife of Israel. So she is the mother of the Jews, if you will. And the Jews, of course, as you know, rejected Jesus. And they put him on the cross. And so there was this overshadowing that the mother of Israel would be, would die in this place. And out of great pain, instead of joy, and the, 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 the midwife said, I know you're in pain, I know you're suffering, but, but here is this, this child and it should bring great joy to you. And she was trying to explain the, the, the joy of the moment, but of course, Rachel in her pain and suffering couldn't hear that and just said, he's the son of sorrow, the son of my pain, and she died. So the house of bread, 
Bethlehem, the place where it was the house of God's provision. And all through the Old Testament, there were all sorts of stories of manna in the, in the desert. And, and so the idea of God providing miraculous bread was very part and parcel of what uh, the tradition and the understanding of the nation of Israel was. And so for Bethlehem to be a place of death was a very tragic thing. Now, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of the two sons were Mahalon and Kelon. Now, in the story of, of this family that moved from Bethlehem, and notice Bethlehem, the house of bread, but there was a famine there. And that famine drove them out into a foreign country. Now, folks, in what should be the house of bread... There can be famine. That's true of the church today. Is the church the house of bread today? Yes, absolutely. Wherever the presence of Jesus is, he designs it to be a place of nourishment, spiritual nourishment, and every other kind of nourishment. The church becomes the Bethlehem that Jesus was first born in, where he introduced himself into a world through the house of bread so that he could establish a people who would distribute the bread of life, who would propagate the gospel of Jesus, would share his love and grace to a world that is starving spiritually. Well, the man and the woman, or the man and his son, uh, their wives died. And so they come back to, they leave Moab. And while they were there, the son Mahalon met a woman that he married. And uh, her name was Ruth. And so Ruth comes back uh, with uh, Naomi and Naomi says she'll look after her and that she could be a part of her family. But she was a stranger. She really didn't fit. She didn't really have a family. And the story, I'm sure you know, uh, it brings us to a kinsman. His name is Boaz. And Boaz redeems Ruth, brings her into his family through marriage. And it's through that family that Jesus came and was born through a lineage that included Ruth. And it says this, the elders uh, in, this is Ruth chapter 1, verses uh, 11, the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. 
May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So here is an outcast, or not really an outcast, but a foreigner who had no place, no inheritance in Israel, is brought into Bethlehem, the house of bread, and it says, may you have standing and be famous. So when you look at the whole picture together, none of us belong in Bethlehem. None of us have the right to the house of bread. None of us by our own nature deserve any of what God has provided for us, the spiritual nourishment and all the blessings that come with that. But may we become, as this said, have standing and may we be famous in Bethlehem. Well, do you have standing in the house of bread? Yes, you do. And on what grounds do you have that standing? Because Jesus is the bread of life and invites you by faith to partake of him. And so the moment that you believe in Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are God's son sent to this world in order to die on the cross for my sins so that I could have your salvation, your grace, your gift in my life. And so I believe and suddenly now I have standing where I never had it before. And whatever other claim that you have to a lineage that is famous, even if you were the son of a king or a prince it's, or a queen, it has absolutely nothing to compare to the standing you have in Bethlehem, God's Bethlehem. God's house of bread. Do we understand that today? Do you understand it? Do I understand it? That I have standing in the king's house? Because Bethlehem in its lowly state and place of humility isn't the only place that Jesus dwells. He came here for a purpose, but he's not confined to some small space anymore. It never really was. He's the king of glory, and he's coming back to this world. And to think, I have standing not with just a king, but the king. And so do you. The king of kings, the Lord of glory. You have standing with him. And you say, well, is he going to make me famous? What is he going to do? What, like, am I going to be rich? Am I going to drive a Rolls Royce? Uh, famous, everybody's going to applaud me like they applaud some famous movie star or athlete or something. Well, your fame is not measured by worldly standards because that's a lesser form of fame. It's a fame that fades and passes away in time. But the fame that is bestowed upon you is eternal life. It's mansions in heaven. It's joy unspeakable. It's not possible to describe or to form in, in some kind of a verbal picture that will allow you to see the fullness of what God has provided for you through what he first provided in Bethlehem when he came to the house of bread. And Ruth, it was decreed, would have fame. <laughs> 
in Israel. Another part of the story of Bethlehem is the story of the anointing of King David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, because he longed for Saul. Saul was this king, the first king appointed um, to be the king of Israel. And he messed up so badly, and he turned away from God. And, and Samuel, the prophet, uh, longed for him and, and uh, just so desired for Saul to change his ways. And, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. For your horn, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So the question is, how long are we going to mourn over our past? Saul was rejected by God because of his rebellion. And we've all got rebellion in our past. We've all got sin in our past. We all have regrets. We all have disappointments. There are things that happen to us along life's way. How long are we going to mourn over that? Wallow in some kind of a place of disappointment and regret and Wishing things didn't happen the way they did. How long are you, going to annoy, are you going to mourn for the past? Because something is happening in Bethlehem. A new king has been chosen. And it says, as you go on into the, the text, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him, that's referring to David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Bethlehem, the place of death and regret and sorrow. The life of Rachel. Rebecca, which one? I, I just forgot. Uh, anyway, Rachel, okay. So, a place of sorrow, a place of pain. And then for Ruth, her family left because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And it wasn't really her family, it was the family that she married into. And so Bethlehem came from a place of famine to a place of Redemption. And then uh, it became a place of anointing. It became a place where the Spirit of the Lord would come and rest joyfully upon David. In Luke chapter 2, verse 16, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
I have just a little loaf of bread. Remember that Bethlehem was insignificant. It was no place for a king, let alone the king of kings, it seems. The house of bread, it seemed like it was just a very small loaf. How could it possibly feed a world? How could possibly, this little precious baby, I, I just so enjoyed holding Anna in my hands, in my arms this morning, looking at that precious little baby and how she represented uh, represents a, a precious little baby, so small, so insignificant, just a child, and yet he was the bread of life. He seems insignificant, and he still does to some today. You don't really see him that way. And what about us this morning? What does the house of bread mean to us? As you're here this morning, what floods your mind, your memories, maybe your present reality? Is it pain and suffering? Is it a place that should have something but doesn't? Famine in Bethlehem? Sorrow of childbirth? Very opposite to the joy of childbirth that happened when Jesus came. We're always faced with these contradictions. Um, we look at the closure of the mill. And what does that mean for Denny and Sonia, who are sitting in our presence this morning, and others through the county? And what will the future be as a result of this economic loss? And so this morning as we sit here in church, maybe you've just had a very serious diagnosis from a doctor. Or some great thing has happened in your family that perhaps someone in the Philippines or uh, someone in Nigeria or somewhere, someone in India, someplace away from here. But your heart is in many ways there. Uh, others that are here from other countries what, is, what does it mean to be here this morning? What about the widow who lost her husband? And you look back at memories of Christmas, and the joy of trimming the tree and putting the presents there and the tinsel and the lights and all of the family celebration, the turkey dinner. But now your spouse is gone passed away. And so you're alone. And throughout our county today, there are many, many, many lonely people at this Christmas season. And so the house of bread can represent different things to different ones of us. And we can see it as a tiny loaf. Or we can see beyond it and see a greater provision, the eternal purposes of God that were first introduced to the world through a tiny little house of bread. Maybe you've given up on the bread and started to eat at another table. You say, well, <clears throat> the pleasures of sin are more fun and more delectable <clears throat> than my faith in Christ. 
And so many have just done that. Or many have <clears throat> looked at the bread and said, it's not for me. And never embraced Jesus, who is the bread of life. Whatever your need is this morning, whatever my need is, we embrace the bread. That's why in communion, the bread is broken. And the church in its early infancy celebrated communion every Lord's Day. It became such a vital part of who they were and the understanding of their faith. Jesus, the bread of life, gave his life for us, and we celebrate him, and we know that he rose again, and he's with us today through his spirit. That's what communion is. That's what Bethlehem is. It's really what Christmas is. And so your need this morning... Lonely, discouraged, bad diagnosis, struggle with marks at school, a lost job, memories of better times and happier times at this time of celebration, financial pressures and stresses that can keep you awake at night. Um, all of these things, they come in and press against us, press against our faith, press against our understanding of things, press against our outlook, and we can become bitter. And so that it doesn't take too long till there's mold on the bread. Because instead of having a fresh meal every day, we've let it just kind of sit on the counter. Oh, <laughs> My prayer is, O oh Lord, as it was said of Bethlehem by Samuel when he anointed King David, let this be a place of the Holy Spirit's empowerment, victory, and the giving of gifts to the church that makes this church a house of fresh bread, fresh bread, bread that meets the needs of every person, bread for sinners who come in the door and are, don't understand the gospel, but there's something that draws them. There's bread in the house. For those who are discouraged or lonely or struggling with things, there's bread in the house, fresh bread. Bread for today. And though there may have been pain and sorrow and suffering on your spiritual journey, it's not what defines your journey. It's not, it's not what defines you. Just as it was said of Ruth, she would have a placement. She would be accepted and she would be famous. Not as men count to fame, but as God counts fame. And that anointing is upon you today. We're making some changes around this church. Someone can go and get the children. I think they might be finished by now or close to finished. Would somebody do that? Thank, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, we're doing some changes around here. And we're going to be setting up chairs. The chairs instead, not these chairs, really nice chairs. 
In fact, chairs that are more comfortable in the pews with nice molded, thick cushion backs and nice chairs. <laughs> and part of the reason for that is we want to make this house not just a house for you to sit and listen to me preach, but a house where we can set up tables and chairs and fellowship with people and have different functions where people are fed natural bread. And first comes the natural, and as the Bible says, then comes the spiritual. And in the partaking of natural fellowship, partake of the spiritual bread, the house of bread. So the changes that are being made are not just because we don't like pews or we want to change the color of the carpet. No, the changes that are made is because God has called us to be a house of bread. More food. More food. More Lord. More food. More Filipino bread, uh, spring rolls. <laughs> More delicious Nigerian rice. <laughs> uh, wow, and even Canadians. And uh, we make some good food too sometimes, don't we? Uh, cake. <laughs> Last night in the prayer meeting, we declared something that God is giving us vision for this year. And you know what the vision is? 2020 vision. 2020 vision. So we can see clearly. We declare this is a house of bread. The bread of Bethlehem, Jesus who is the bread. And we celebrate him today. Wow. Come on up here. Boys and girls. All right. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes. All right. I want you to turn and face me, okay? Turn and face me. Wow. Can you all see me? You have to turn this way so you can see me. Can you see me? Can Luke see me? Can, do you know what this is? Bread. And this morning we've been talking about Jesus is our bread. But not just ordinary bread that we eat at breakfast or lunch or supper, but spiritual bread, bread that gives us life. And so when we pass this tray of bread in a few minutes, it represents the body of Jesus. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we remember a manger, because it was in a manger that Jesus came to be the bread of life. So whenever we pass the communion emblems in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to take bread and wine. That's the, that's the grape juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And that's why we have Christmas. That's the most important part of Christmas. Christmas.